So this morning, uh, we were supposed to be continuing our sermon series on, um, well, it's on the Bible, the uh, ancient, ambiguous, diverse book that leads us to wisdom. But on Friday, I sat down and I rewrote my sermon, and I decided to go ahead and take a week off. I mean, not from work, I'm here. But take a week off from this sermon series. And we'll revisit it. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it back up next week, and we will finish that series. But um, I decided instead that I, just, I had something on my heart that I really wanted to share. And so instead of the passage of Scripture in Exodus that we were going to be reading from, we're going to be reading from uh, Colossians. It's Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and um, we're going to be reading from chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Here are these words that Paul writes to the church. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. Another way it's put in here is barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Christ is all that matters and he lives in you. He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, even above those things, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the heart, or let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let me read that one again. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. I thank you this morning for this community of faith, for allowing me to be part of it. I thank you this morning 
for this opportunity to come together and to worship you, to sing songs, to, to see people that I love, to laugh, to pray together, to, to share concerns together, and to, to, ref, to, to turn to your scriptures together. But Lord, unless we open our hearts to you, unless we take, take the words of Jesus seriously, there's not going to be any transformation. And, then, and this can just become a social hour. Help it to not just be a social hour. Help us to really, really take you seriously. To realize that this isn't just about me being saved or me feeling good about myself or, or me being assured. But it's about me being challenged in the same way those first disciples were challenged to just rethink what they thought they knew when they heard for the first time the words of Christ. Give me courage and strength and wisdom and let your glory and grace shine through. We pray all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So I asked Jaron at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of the service, I said, is this a sit-down? Like, is this a sit-down sermon? And he, we both agreed, yeah, it is, because it's a conversation, right? Um, I'm just, I've decided this morning I'm just going to share from my heart. Um, which I, I often do. I, I think I'm pretty vulnerable. I think, I, I think I'm pretty transparent. What you see is what you get. And, and I try to be on. I mean, you know, I try to let you see that. Um, but I also get really excited about teaching new concepts and new ideas and, and challenging the way we think about stuff. And, and, and I get really excited about that. But, um, but this has been a week. Do you ever have one of those? It's just like, man, this is a week. And you're like, I just can't wait. For this week to be over, right? And then you get to the you get to your weekend, and you're like, whatever that week was, it's still with you, and you can't shake it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? It, it's been a week. Uh, I'm tired. I realize I'm tired. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm brokenhearted. And I'm close to simply being broken. At times this week, I wanted to just give up. I used to joke about when I uh, first got into ministry, I, I, uh, I kept a Starbucks application on my kitchen counter. I, I almost went back and picked one up. Um, 
I wanted to give up. I, I, I found myself wanting to quit caring. Do you, you ever get that place? It's like, you know what? It'd be just easier if I just didn't give a rip. If I just didn't care, that would be so much easier. Because if I just didn't care, then I could simply walk away. And, and this may sound like whining, but on Thursday afternoon, as Jaron and I were walking out of the office together, I just looked at Jaron and I said, maybe I shouldn't care anymore. Maybe I should just walk away and not worry about what people do and what people say. Just let them do and say whatever they want. Because uh, no one's listening to me anyway. And yeah, writing it down and saying it out loud sounds a bit like whining. But it's where I was. You ever been there? And then, so having said that to Jaron, then that night we went, as a family, we went to the Sounds game. It was a doubleheader, and I thought, well, this is going to be great because this will just lift my spirits. It, it, it didn't, <laughs> which bothered me more because baseball will usually lift my spirits. And then at about 10 o'clock, we're in the middle of the, double, of the second game of the doubleheader, Jaron texts me this article by uh, Carrie Newhoff. And the title of the article was Five Reasons You Still Feel Disoriented, Dissatisfied, and Depleted. And I thought that as I read those, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you all might be feeling some of this too. So I'm going to share the five things that, that may have us feeling disoriented, dissatisfied, and depleted. Now he's writing it for like leaders. He's like, he writes like leadership stuff. But, I, but no matter what you're leading or where you are, you may feel these things, right? And so the first one is COVID might be waning, but crisis leadership isn't. And, and I thought about that. It's like, I feel like I'm constantly leading right now in crisis. It's one crisis after another, after another. And we're not done with one. And by God, we're ready to start the next one. And a lot of the crisis, it, COVID was a crisis, but we compounded the crisis because we're going to go at each other's throats about COVID. And so it's not, it can't just be like the crisis of COVID that we together as human beings are going to handle. It, we, we have to even make it worse and compound it. And, and the things that he says about this is even in states or countries where the lockdowns were short-lived, the crisis hasn't been. Because it turns out the society was a tinderbox just waiting to ignite. Do you feel that? It's exhausting. I'm tired. Number two, you're grieving a lot of change, which also means a lot of loss. Ministry is a series of ungrieved loss. And so is life, right? Well, any, this is what he says, while any loss in leadership can feel personal, some of the losses you've experienced are personal, 
right? They are personal. They don't just feel personal. They are personal. Some of the people who have left you used to be your friends. We've lost friends over stupid stuff. And it's like we're okay with that. Because as long as I'm right, friendship be damned. The third thing, your emotions are still catching up. Because when you're in crisis mode, you don't have time. But if you stay in crisis mode, they're going to catch up with you eventually anyway. Right? He says this, your emotions have to come out. And when you've denied or delayed them, they leak out. Last week, more shootings. And, and I just lost it. I was angry. I was crying. And, and I just like blasted with emotions Denise and Nancy in the hallway. Not yelling at them, but just like grieving to them. I couldn't even speak. It just hurt so bad. And I realized it, it was that, yes, but that was the thing, right, that brought all of this out in me. It hurts. There's pain in us. Maybe just me, I don't know, but I'm aching. I'm tired. The fourth thing was this. People are still deeply divided. I remember uh, several years ago, several years ago, uh, it was during one of the elections. I don't even remember which one anymore, but a friend of mine said, you know what? Kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said, you know what? This country needs a good war. And I was like, what? He says, a good war, because war brings us all together. We have to have a common enemy. Do you know we had a common enemy? It came out two years ago, a little over two years ago, and that was called COVID. And what did we do? We, we, yeah. We're so divided. And I wish I could say like, but, but within the church, we're not. But the problem is we've allowed the culture around us to come into here, to come into our churches, to come into the place where we're called by Christ to be one. This is what he says. Carrie writes this. A divided culture needs a united church. I mean, if it's not going to find unity in the church, where is it going to come? Because a divided nation needs a united people. And number five, you haven't found a sustainable pace. He, he writes, time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. 
I've tried vacations. And I come back for about a day and I'm like, yeah, whew, I feel so much better. And then I go home at the end of that day and I'm like, darn it. But of these five, I think number four cuts me the deepest. It's the one that causes me the most pain. And in case you forget which one number four was, it's people are still deeply divided. It's, it's this past, it was that that led me to this passage of Scripture again in Colossians. Right? Paul begins, before he even talks about how we're supposed to be tender-hearted, merciful, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, we're supposed to clothe ourselves with that. Before he even gets there, he talks about how it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Right? He, he uses these categories, and these are socioeconomic and political categories. In, in Galatians, he adds another category. He says, you're not male or female. Right? So, so he adds gender to the list of the way that people are classified. And, and, and what, what this is, is these are categories that were used in the Greco-Roman world to identify your place in the world. You knew your place based on these categories. And we still have these categories today, and, and that we, we, we like to know that they help us define our place. And in the past, they used to really, like, like you just think about clubs and things that you could go to, and you knew that this was my category, this is where I belonged. Think about how upset like, people used to get when all of a sudden women could join golf country clubs. Right? It was because it, it began to break the place that I knew, this is my category, this is where I belong, this is my thing. And Paul isn't saying that these categories no longer exist. In fact, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter. So they do still exist. They just don't matter. Not to those of us who are in Christ, right? This is, it, it still exists, but this is not your primary way of identifying who you are. Your primary way of identifying who you are is Christ. Right? This, this is, these categories are no longer of primary importance. And that the kingdom of God, that in the kingdom of God exists people from every category. We know this, but we might not like it. Right? Because the reason I think that we, even though we know it, and we, but we still allow this division to come in, right, is because getting outside of our categories is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to be outside of our categories. But it's the very nature of the kingdom of God. So in other words, by its very nature, the kingdom of God is uncomfortable. Now, there are certain things growing up that have never caused me discomfort. Um, being in a diverse group of people, and by that I mean um, race, 
never has been an issue for me. It never bothered me. I don't know why. It could be that my uh, parents had mixed race like friends and that was a big influence on me. I have no idea. It's never been an issue for me. Being with people who disagree on things has never been an issue for me. It, it just hasn't, right? Like, and, and I can remember, now this is kind of a silly example, but I can even remember as a kid, I used to try to be the guy that had the difference of opinion, right? Growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I was a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but again, and again, again, another silly example is we were huge Ohio State fans, and every, every Saturday after Thanksgiving, we went over to our friends from Michigan's house to watch the game together, right? And so I, it's silly. I know, it's silly. But like being around people who disagree with you about stuff, never been an issue for me. It doesn't mean I haven't had my issues. And I was thinking about these. When I was in middle school and elementary school, I was very uncomfortable about being around people with disabilities. It made me very uncomfortable, especially seeing um, someone in a wheelchair. It made me very uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know why. I don't. Um, you know, some people have said, well, maybe you were afraid of that, you know, for that moment you saw how fragile your own abilities were. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to psychoanalyze it. I just know that it made me uncomfortable, which is weird because now, like today, I actually have a special place in my heart for people with disabilities. Um, I do. I, I, but I remember, like, watching my daughter, Madison, who um, at a very young age in elementary school was the best buddies for Special Olympics. And I remember thinking to myself, I could have never done that as a kid. It would have pushed me way outside of my comfort zone. But I was so proud of her. And I got to go to the Special Olympics because my daughter was a buddy. And then I remember when I began to truly follow Jesus. And this was... I wish I could say this was when I was young, but I was still, I was in my 20s, I guess. Yeah, that's young, but. But I remember when I first began to really try to follow Jesus, I came into contact with, with people experiencing homelessness, and that made me very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Um, again, I don't know why. I've had people tell me, oh, it's because, you know, you're, you're, you know how fragile your own wealth is, and I don't know. Whatever. The fact of the matter is, I was very uncomfortable. Now, today, I'm not. I'm not. In fact, um, just this past week, uh, Jaron and I volunteered. And All right. That happens during the week sometimes. Jordan's going to go take care of it. Um, uh, so if you want to leave, now would be a good time. Um, so anyway, uh, so on Thursday, we went, we volunteered down at Restoration Point, which is where, um, Pat and Joe, um, normally head up and I know Steve and Pam, where are you? Right there. They've been, they've been involved a lot down there too. And, and Leola, um, who's not here this morning either, but they, they, and so it's a clothing closet for people experiencing homelessness. And I'm very comfortable going down there now. In fact, I'm the check-in guy, right? I'm very comfortable. Um, but interestingly enough, 
the first two people that came walking in made me extremely uncomfortable. They were transgender. And I don't know why, right? Like, but all of a sudden, I became very uncomfortable around. Like, I was like, oh, what do I, you know, what do I do? What do I say? And, and Jaron was brilliant, just brilliant, right? Because so the first person um, was Cindy. And, and so Jaron was going to shop with Cindy. And I said, Jaron, this is Cindy. Cindy, this is Jaron. Jaron's going to help you shop. And Jaron just said, come on, Cindy, what are we looking for today? And Cindy said, pants. And Jaron said, now keep in mind, it's split men's side and women's side. And Jaron just looked at Cindy and said, you lead the way. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I tell you, I tell you that because I want to tell you this. When, after Jaron had shopped with, with Cindy and uh, Lola, I felt completely comfortable around Cindy and Lola. Something happened. Something, something I was transformed in such a way. Right? I, I, don't, know, I don't know why. And I, don't, I can't say that the next time I won't be uncomfortable again. But, I, but I, I experienced a little transformation in that moment because of how Jaron, who I'm assuming was representing Jesus, interacted. And I got to witness that. And, and as, I began to, as I began to think about this, right, and, and truly following Jesus requires us to become uncomfortable. It does. It ta- at least it's taken me to some of the most uncomfortable places I've ever been. The, the most growth, though, that I have ever experienced is the result of me being uncomfortable. And, and here I have experienced, in those uncomfortable moments, I have experienced God moments. And it's here that I've experienced transformation. I don't get excited about being uncomfortable. But, but maybe it would be helpful if I began to get excited about the possibility of transformation. Or maybe, maybe I should look at these uncomfortable moments and say, I wonder how I'm going to experience God here. I think the fire department's coming. <laughs> See, but, but, but I have to fight against this basic urge. I have a basic urge, and I have to fight against it, and that's to retreat into the known. Right? To, to retreat into my little cluster of people who think and act just like me. To retreat into this place that that, they, that everything fits into the same categories as me. And so that I can be surrounded by people that look and act and think and behave just like me. But I've never transformed me. As I was writing down my thoughts on Friday, I came down with a title. I came up with this title. 
Together, I don't know why I decided to title it. It's not part of a series, but I did. Title in perfect har- Together in Perfect Harmony. And I, and I took that from that verse right there, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Together in perfect harmony. Now, people that are singers, they know that perfect harmony doesn't mean that you're all singing the same. Right, and, and Paul acknowledges in verse 13 that we still have faults. We still have faults, right? And, and there's still going to be disagreements. And he acknowledges that we're still going to offend each other from time to time. It's going to happen. Because if it doesn't, then there's no reason for him to say, be patient with one another, forgive one another. He acknowledges these things, right? We have faults. We're going to disagree. And we're going to offend each other from time to time. But this is the church that Christ invites us to. I'm sorry, there's no other one. That's it. As long as there are going to be people, these things are going to exist. If we continue to try to find our own little group where we all agree and we're all... Uh, We all act the same way. We all believe the same way. We all do the same things. Eventually, your group is going to be you. And as a friend of mine likes to say, the person who is always right is often always alone. And on their deathbed, they can say, but by God, I was right. I'd rather be right by God. Borrowing from politics for a moment, I want to say this. We're called to be purple in a world where we want to divide ourselves into red and blue. This is purple. And as the church, we need to fight against the urge to retreat into our own comfortable clusters. Now, I could have simply ignored my heart this morning. And I could have simply preached the sermon that I had written down. I mean, it's done. It's ready to go. It's printed off. In fact, these markers that you see in the little page markers, that's for next week. Right? I could have done that. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, this is what I decided. I love you. I love you. And because of that, I decided to take a chance and just open up my heart. And you know what that did to me? It made me really uncomfortable. Now, I can't tell you what to do. Over 20 years of ministry, I've learned that. You're going to do what you want to do. Maybe including what you wanted to do this morning has just completely tuned me out. You could have done that too. But as the church... I think this needs to be our commitment. 
Everything we do needs to be open to everyone. Everything we do needs to be open to everyone. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Because Christ is all that matters. We're not going to sing our last hymn this morning. What we are going to do is I'm going to invite you to pray. You can pray where you're seating, where you're seating, where you're sitting. You can pray up here at the altar. But I'm going to ask you to pray for us as a church that we learn to embrace the uncomfortable. You can pray for yourself. Maybe, maybe that's the place that this morning you feel in your heart you need to start. Or maybe you're just thinking to yourself, God, I need to pray for Jeff because he's so lost. But whatever it is, I invite you to pray while Jaron plays this song for us. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your hopeless and all those who strayed come sit at the table and come taste the grace there's rest for the weary a rest that endures and earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure Oh, who are broken? 
Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. Come as you are Come as you are Fall in his arms Come as you are There's joy for the morning Oh sinner be still Earth has no sorrow the heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow the heaven can't heal. We invite the ushers to come forward, please. As the people of God, take a moment to consider the many gifts and blessings we have received from God. May we meditate on the ways we may give back to God, not just of our tithes and offerings, but also of our time and talents as we join together in this offertory prayer. Almighty God, we praise you as God above us, God beside us, and God within us. We bring our gifts to you in worship and gratitude as our creator and provider of all good things. We acknowledge that our relationship with you begins and ends on your side of the equation beginning with your devotion and not our own, beginning with your wisdom and not our own. We come into relationship with you by resting on your grace-filled love and not our intermittent efforts to be faithful in our love for you. Bless these gifts we give and bless the transformational impact they might have. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our offertory hymn is number 529 in your hymnal. We'll do the first four verses. This is How Firm a Foundation.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face to shine upon you. And may we find comfort in the uncomfortable. Amen.